Hello and welcome to another episode of A Little Ray of Sunshine, inspirational stories from everyday people. Today I have a very wonderful guest with us and his name is Frank Randall. Frank happens to be 97 years old. Is that correct, Frank? That is correct. 97 and he's got some great stories that we're going to hear from. His daughter Zoanne is here with us as well and she can help to kind of direct some of these stories because you know him so well. What year were you born, Frank? 1925. And where were you born? I was born in the red brick house, right? No, I wasn't either. It was before they built the red brick house. I was born in a frame house, an old frame house. And uh, my dad built a, a new red brick house, and we moved into that when I was about two years old. Wow. Okay. And this is right there in Coltman. So I was born within a few hundred feet of where I live right now. Isn't that something? That's amazing. So, Frank, when you think about your childhood, what memories come to your mind? <laughs> Do I tell them about the school? Yeah. <laughs> well, we lived about three quarters of a mile from the grade school. A pretty nice building built out of bricks and... But we didn't have enough students to have a separate room for each class. We had the first, second, and third grade in one room, fourth, fifth in another room, and sixth, seventh, and eighth in the, the big room, we called it. Okay. And we had three teachers. Each teacher taught two classes, two different grade groups. I, when I was little, my sisters uh, went to school, and we walked. We didn't have a bus or anything. We walked. And uh, finally the time come when I was supposed to start school. And uh, I was all excited about it. I had, uh, I had always rubbed... Uh, my sister's uh, lunch pails when they got home. <laughs> anyway, when my turn come to go to school, I walked to school, and my mother, before I left, she said, Now, Franklin, I want you to be sure and come home when the bell rings. Don't hesitate and come, come right home. So I went to school, and... Uh, Mrs. Reed was our teacher. She was a lovely lady. Anyway, noontime come and we were turned loose to eat our lunch. And uh, we played games and so on. Well, it's time for school to uh, go again. The bell rang. And I remembered my mother saying, come right straight home when the bell rings. So what I do, I went, I went home. You went straight home? All by myself. <laughs> A little first grader. <laughs> mother had to take me back to school. <laughs> I got ribbed over that by my dad. And <laughs> anyway, I learned horse what the hours of school was. <laughs> yeah, you learned the hard way, didn't yeah. you, Frank? Yeah. Well, as you grew and became older, I understand you actually served in World War II. Uh, yes. 
Pearl Harbor happened when I was uh, about a sophomore in high school. I remember one Sunday morning, all crowding around the old radio we had and listening to the news report of, of Pearl Harbor. And we knew that um, this was a major world war and that we was going to be involved in it eventually. So, but we went on through high school. Some of the boys uh, enlisted, and I debated whether to enlist or not, but my dad didn't want me to. He wanted me on the farm, helping farm. And so I waited until they drafted me. That was a year later, 1944. And then they drafted me. I was sent to Camp Fannin, Texas, down the south uh, east corner kind of Texas, and we, uh, took basic training. It was a 17-week course of learning to handle all the different kinds of weapons and and all the different things we had to do. We learned how to read maps and how to put on gas masks and and all those different things. Well. I had a buddy with me that was in drafted the same time I was, and we kind of stuck together. He was in uh, the same battalion as I was, and he used to go to church with me. I inv- he wasn't a member of the church, but I invited him to go with me, and he didn't have anything else to do, so he, he went to church with me. And uh, while we was there... His girlfriend from back home came to see him, and they got married. (laughs) I was the best man. (laughs) But another thing that happened uh, while I was in basic training is a recruiter officer came into camp and asked for volunteers to join the paratroops. And uh, Bob and I talked about it, and... And Bob says, oh, I think I'd be better than just being a foot soldier. And I thought about it, and I thought about it, and finally I said, okay, I'll, I'll sign up with you. So we went down and signed up for the paratroops. And uh, the you had to be a little more physical fit for paratroops than the regular infantry. So they give us a physical and... I passed it, okay, but Bob didn't. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> Bob had to go into the regular infantry, and he was sent almost immediately after a furlough. He was sent to Germany. The war was still on, and he was involved in the battle in, in Germany to finish the war up. And I was sent to Fort Benning, Georgia, where parachute school was. And we took parachute school, which was four weeks long, and um, learned how to jump out of an airplane and and things like that. And we made our first jump on New Year's Day of 1945. And uh, when I finished parachute school and got my wings, I had an opportunity to sign up for a, as a specialist in 
communications. And so I I did, and I spent all, all that winter in Georgia learning how to string wire and use radio and even used uh, carrier pigeons. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, finally the war in Europe came to a close, and the boys there got to come home. But... Uh, the war in the Pacific was still red hot. Okinawa was one of the big battles, and uh, they put us on a train to California. We went there, and then they put us on a ship, and we was 30 days on the ship going to the Philippines, and we joined the 11th Airborne Division in the Philippines, and... Uh, we did a lot of heavy training. In our training, we made more parachute jumps. I made 10 altogether. And uh, one day we were taking a lunch break. It was in the first part of July, and we got word on the radio. We had a little radio there. Uh, we got word that the United States had dropped a bomb that was so awesome it was equal to 35 tons of TNT. It was a big enough bomb to, to wipe out a whole city. And so um, the camp commander called us all in. We had uh, all of us, I don't know how many thousand of us in there were being training, called us in and says, well, we're going to go to Japan. says, if they sign the surrender... We'll go in peacefully. If they don't sign the surrender, we'll beat our way in. <laughs> That's what he said. That's just what he said. Wow. And so we prayed for to sign the peace treaty. And uh, they loaded us into airplanes and flew us to Okinawa, where we'd been fighting just a few weeks earlier. And we bivouacked in, on Okinawa, for about a week, I think it was, uh, until they finally surrendered. As soon as they surrendered, they flew us right into Japan, Atsugi Airfield in near Yokohama, and then we were assigned to Sendai up north. We spent a whole year, I, I spent a whole year in Japan. We had various duties there, a lot of training, and we... We went around through the town and uh, collected weapons, rifles, swords, shotguns, anything that was a weapon, we collected. We didn't want the, uh, people to get mad at us and start shooting. Anyway, after a year in Japan, I, I was released. Got on another ship 30 days back to Seattle and where I got my discharge. Okay. So that pretty well tells the story. That, what a story it was, too. Frank, how did all that affect you, being part of that and witnessing what you did? How, how did that affect you overall? Well, we uh, of course, uh, worried about what was going to happen. They were planning on uh, us invading Japan, and they figured there would be at least a million casualties because the Japanese were really dug in and prepared. So the atomic bombs 
I always figured maybe it saved my life. I don't know. But um, the rest is history. I mean, we became real good friends to Japan after that. Mm-hmm. I came home in August of 46 or 45, was it? I don't know. Anyway, start farming. My dad had a farm. I think the last time I talked to you the other day, you talked about meeting your your love of your life, your wife. Meeting my what? The love of your life. <laughs> yeah, well, when I, I got home from the Army, and uh, I farmed for one year, and then a uh, bishop came to me one day and said, how about going on a mission? And I had a little money I could use for it, so I... I agreed, and my dad rented the farm out to uh, one of our relatives, Milt Randall. Anyway, so I went on a mission in northern states, and I come home and started farming again, and uh, about that time that I met a sweet young gal. Love of my life. That's, that's right. And we got married. There is a sweet story about who was your mission president, Dad? You want to hear that? That would be wonderful. My mission president was Creed Haymond. And I don't know whether any of you have heard of Creed Haymond or not. He was a a dentist in Salt Lake City. And he was our mission president. And uh, he tells us the story of when he was in college at uh, Michigan University. And he liked sports. And he especially liked uh, uh, running 400 meter and 100 meter and so on. Well, they had a big track meet. I don't know what city they were in, but they had this big track meet. And uh, they they were into the city. Uh, went to bed early, tried to get their rest. Just before they went to bed... The coach of the team came to each of the boys and and wanted to give them a shot of liquor. He said, that'll sharpen you up and so you can run better. And Creed Heyman says, I, I, I don't drink. And they said, oh, come on, it won't hurt just this one time. He absolutely refused. And the next morning, the coach came to the room where President Heyman was, and he he says, how do you feel? And uh, President Heyman says, I feel great. Let's go for it. <laughs> and the coach says, well, I'm sorry. Um, all the teammates are sick. And they, can, they can't hardly run. And you're going to have to run for them. And so he did. He run some of their races. He run his race, and he only had a half hour before he had to run the next race. And he, and in doing so, he set a world's record. I think it was a 400 meter, but he set a world's record. And the coach really apologized to him after that. So that was our mission president. <laughs> Interesting. What stories have you heard from your father growing up? Um, just about how how they farmed because we live on the farm that my parent my grandparents homesteaded in 1896 
and I have 10 brothers and sisters and so and I'm number seven down the road and was I don't know we just had a good life we had great parents and my dad is just always a go-getter and a doer and he's not afraid to do what needs to be done that sound about right Frank yeah yeah we had a big family we had 10 children and we didn't regret a, a minute of having a big family. They're all such great kids. We all still get along to this day. We have had a good relationship, and our family says when we're together, that's the best days of our lives still. We have a lot of love in, inside mm-hmm. our family. I've got 40 gra- grandkids now and, and pretty near 40 great-grandkids. And uh, after I retired... My wife and I went on two missions, worked in the mission office both times, one one in Oregon and the other in San Antonio. We loved it. My wife passed away uh, 13 years ago. 18 years ago, Dad. 18 years ago. 18 years ago. You got cancer. So tell them where your daughter-in-law is from. My one son went on a mission to California. Anaheim. And um, while he was there, he met a sister missionary that turned out to be the first missionary out of India. Her family joined the church, and she says she didn't know what a mission was, but she wanted to go on a mission. And so they got together after their missions were over, and he married her, and they raised a lovely family. That's amazing. So, Frank, if you look back at your whole life. Pardon? If you look back at your whole life, all the years you've been alive, what are some of the things you're most proud of? I think I'm mostly proud of my family. Uh, My condition, I can't get around and do much anymore, but my family's always there for me. They have to come from New Jersey or North Carolina or Texas or Michigan. Michigan. Utah. Utah and Idaho. We don't claim the Utah ones as much, though. (laughs) No, we love them. (laughs) And they take turns coming to visit me. I really appreciate that. If I were to ask you to impart some of your wisdom, what wisdom do you have to share? Golly, I don't know why. What would you tell your kids, Dad? If there's something you could tell your children and your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren, what would you say to them? Well, when my kids were growing up, I encouraged them to go first on a mission and secondly out to college. I didn't go to college. My dad didn't think it was necessary for a farmer to go to college. He says, if you're going to farm, farm. Go to college, go to college. So I didn't go to college. But I encouraged all my kids to go to college. And I had seven of them that went on a mission. And seven of them that went to college, graduated from BYU. That's why you're such big BYU Cougar fans. Yeah. <laughs> we are. <laughs> what else would you tell them? I'm sorry. You'd tell them, go on missions, to go to college. If your grandchildren were sitting around you right now, 
what words would you like to say to them? Remember who you are and remember the importance of being active in the church. We have the gospel and most of our family have embraced it. And that is one of the great successes in our life. Well, I'm sure you have been a wonderful example to your whole family. I would say that. I think your daughter right here would say the very same thing. Absolutely. So they have someone to look up to as a friend and someone who they admire. That's you, Frank. That's, that's who Frank is. I can see that just by listening to you. The love that your family has for you and that you have for them. My dad is one of the kindest and most honest men I know. and He literally has just taught us how to be that. But let's make it clear for everyone. Who is your favorite child? <laughs> no, that's not a fair question. <laughs> well, I think it's fair. Well, right today it's uh, Zoyam. <laughs> that's the best answer right there. There you go. <laughs> he loves all of his children very, very much. Well, that's great. So. As a daughter, I can say my dad is one of the most kind men. He's honest. We've always looked up to him. In fact, I was thinking the other day the only time I've ever really heard him chew me out was when I completely deserved it when I was a teenager. He's always just been kind and understanding and giving to all of us. And he has created the bond within our family, him and my mom. And we miss our mom like crazy, but we're sure glad we have our dad here. I'll bet. I'll bet. Well, let me tell you what I've taken out of this today. We should be talking to our family members. We should be listening to their stories. We should be recording them. We should be getting to know them and hearing the lives that they lived. Your father has had 97 years of life, and there are things in his life that our generation today would never understand. And so that's what I think I got out of today's visit was take the time to talk to your family members. And if it's been a while then go visit them. Text them, call them, visit them, and listen to their stories because it's amazing what you'll find out. And I feel the love that Frank has for you and your siblings and for everybody in your family, your children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. So, I had a guy ask me one day, he says, what do, you, what do you do to keep close to your family? He was having trouble with some of his kids. and I says... I found that the best thing you can do is just be real close buddies to your sons and daughters. I got six sons, and we're we're just as close as we can be. And four daughters, one of them died, though. Yeah, last year. He had a daughter pass away. So that's my advice. Just be buddies. Well, what does it take to be a buddy? To what? What does it take? How can you be a buddy? How can one do that? You can throw your arm around their son, tell him how much you love him and uh, and each one of your kids. Absolutely. And one thing I can always say growing up is we've always played games, like we played card games. (laughs) Some of our funnest and best memories are playing card games around a table. We have a great big round table that hooks to the floor and then our chairs hook to the table so we don't have legs around it, but... The times we've spent around that table are just irreplaceable. Built bonds, haven't they? Absolutely. Oh, that's great. Well, Frank, I want to personally thank you for taking time out of your day 
to come and visit with me and to share your wonderful stories. I think a lot of people out there will be able to learn from you when they listen to the words that you've said. I appreciate the opportunity to express myself. I hope I've done it justice. You did a wonderful job, wonderful job. And I'd like to also say to my listeners, remember to always speak up, speak out, and speak often. And when I say speak often, I really mean that. I've always meant it, but now speak often to your family members. Get to know them. Bye-bye.